to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the Thoughtful Book Club podcast featuring two friends. I am Travis, joined as always by my co-host Amanda. Welcome back, Amanda. Hello. We are here today to slouch in a a very sloppy posture towards Bethlehem (laughs) because there's a book recommendation (laughs) and sort of review episode. If you've never listened to us before, hello, and as I said, welcome. You're in the right place. Our book recommendation episodes are recommended for new listeners or people who have never checked out the podcast before. Our, Our goal with today's episode is going to be to try and convince you in about 25 minutes or so to read a book with us over the next two weeks and hopefully persuade you to take that literary journey with us. Today's episode will be about an essay collection called Slouching Towards Bethlehem, which is by Joan Didion. I don't know, it's kind of hard to summarize. It's a bit of reporting, it's a bit of personal reflections, it's a lot about living in the 60s, I guess I'd say, and maybe a lot about California. Does that feel right? Mm. Yeah, those are all great descriptions. (laughs) Okay, not bad. I'll also read from the cover in a second. If you've never listened before, again, welcome. Uh, You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at the Lightly Literary Podcast, all one word. And even if you've listened before, we appreciate if you follow those accounts. We post what we're reading, kind of a reading schedule and updates and stuff, promotions for the books we've been doing. So check us out there and follow along, see what we're reading. If you're on any podcast platform that has a rating system too, we appreciate a five-star full rating like iTunes and Spotify have that kind of thing. So if you're on those, you know, we appreciate it. Any recommendation helps, any personal recommendation to friends or family, those always help a ton too. So thanks for joining us. Let's see if we can persuade you to read this pretty good essay collection, pretty great even, essay collection. As I mentioned, it's by Joan Didion called Slouching Towards Bethlehem. Let me briefly read from the cover before we jump into the recommendation properly. Uh, It begins in the back. A half century after its initial publication in 1968, Joan Didion's Slouching Towards Bethlehem remains the essential portrait of America and California in particular during the 60s. The remarkable debut essay collection by one of the most distinctive prose stylists of our era, it explores such subjects as John Wayne and Howard Hughes growing up in California, the nature of good and evil in a Death Valley motel room, and San Francisco's height, I think it's hot, Ashbury, uh, the heart of the counterculture, like the hippie movement in the 60s. A couple other quotes on the back, but that's the that's the relevant stuff. I actually had no idea that this was her debut until right now, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is funny. We have a kind of pension on this podcast, I guess, for picking debut things. So it kind of makes sense. I don't know how we stumble. It was not my intention. I picked it. I, I guess I'll say this. I was the one who picked this book. We rotate back and forth. I picked it because it was recommended on another podcast that I listened to that has absolutely nothing to do with literature. It was just one of the people on that show was discussing the book, saying that he really enjoyed it. And I was like, yeah, I'll check it out. We haven't done essays yet. Um, yeah. So, yeah, happy coincidence, right? <laughs> yeah. Pretty great. happy, I'd say. Yeah, we. I think we both really liked it, but we'll talk about that now. Let's get to the recommendation. We're going to start with our f- usual first segment, the rapid-fire recommendations. Amanda and I are going to bounce kind of descriptions back and forth and relevant kind of fill-in-the-blanks for people who we think will like this book, basically. Yeah. Um, you'll figure it out if you've never heard this segment before as we go along. Amanda, why don't you start us off? Sure. Um <clears throat> uh, you should read this book if you enjoy illusions. Right, with an A. Cr- critical, yeah. critical. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of journalism, so that does make sense to me as well. You kind of, you might have to do some cursory Googling just because the things that are pertinent to her are not to us in 2022. Not all of them. Some are. <laughs> and so, yeah, just have the have the Google search ready is what I would say. I yeah. think you should read this book if you've thought about moving to California, but you've never done it. 
Oh yeah, for sure. Um, California is the, what it's like to be a Californian and what it's like Mm -hmm. to live in California are definitely at the forefront of a lot of these essays. Mm -hmm. Um, You should read this book if you're interested in American, especially Californian culture of the 60s. Definitely. It's her dominant concern. And the longest essay in the collection, the titular one, too, is about is literally her just following the kind of the hippie culture of the San Francisco in the 60s. So it's there's a really interesting and really in-depth piece about that. So she captures that kind of feeling and tone. Well, Mm -hmm. I think you should read this book if you want to understand more about the hippie generation. So we're lining up. well. We should say we write these blind. (laughs) So, yep, we're nailing it. Yep, ties together really well. Uh, Uh (laughs) You should read this if you enjoy reporting that is more about the scene and observations than actual interviews with the subject. And some of it is her own commentary. Like, some of it she doesn't even embed. It's more of cultural criticism is what I think we'd call it, or something like right. that. It's She does not embed herself always. She does, though, at times. There are subjects that she tackles directly. But then others, it's more of, like, she observes something from afar and comments on it. So it's a little yeah. bit of both. I, again, will line up with you a bit. I think you should read this if you like opinionated and heavily stylized journalism in air quotes. Nice. I definitely stylized but her opinions aren't like shouting from the rooftops either but you could definitely tell um you should read this if you like more subtle subjectivity which ties in with the opinionated stuff (laughs) definitely no she walks the line really well we admired that especially in the part one when there's when she's doing a bit more kind of professional journalism so to speak magazine style and yeah she is both interestingly opinionated and then just subtle enough and kind of fair enough to have it not feel preachy, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you should read this book if you want to sulk just a little bit, just a little bit. She is really great, surprisingly, for like a nonfiction journalist um, writer. She's really great at setting tone and Mm -hmm. and mood. So, yeah, it's great. Um, You should read this if you like reading short works that may seem abrupt or open-ended or unfinished until you really think about purpose or theme. Yeah, she has moments where she's really lucid with that stuff, but I think overall it's, it is more open-ended in its approaches and stuff. Her, her, mm-hmm. her ideas are more open-ended. She loves an interesting conclusion. That's for sure, yeah. too. I would agree with that. Yeah. They'll, they'll make you think. Um, you should read this book if you sometimes just feel sad while you're looking at the sunset. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> um, and you could also look at that um, metaphorically as well. Um, I was thinking of it of as metaphorically. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I was thinking of it literally. I get what you mean. Yes. 100%. <laughs> on a certain generation or something. A <laughs> cultural moment. Yeah. I hadn't thought yeah. of it that way. Yeah, I thought of it more literally. Um, <laughs> those are our rapid fire recommendations. Let's get a bit more in depth here. Our next segment is going to be a pop culture touchstone where we each try and connect the book or the work or the writing or something to something from pop culture. I'll go first because mine will take, I think, a bit of explanation. I was trying really hard to think of a character from something that has her voice, and it was tough. I'm going to settle for um, 
do you know who Aubrey? I think her last name is Plaza. She's an mm-hmm. actress. She was in a show called Parks and Rec, which is pretty popular. She played a character named April Ludgate. Do you know this character? Yes. <laughs> so that's my touchstone. Let me state first. I don't think Didion is even a hundredth as sarcastic as her. I don't even think she's really sarcastic almost at, at all. And if she was, it was too subtle for me or something. Like I don't I don't think that's her dominant mode. But I think she's equally skeptical, and I guess this is why I settled on this touchstone for going with April Ludgate. The thing about April was that she always was throwing the zingers and seemed above it all, but would never, could never quit it. Like she, this group of people she hung around with, yeah, she criticized them a lot. Yeah, she seemed kind of at times indifferent to things or above it or like, but she was always actually kind of there and was interested. And so she, even though she had these little barbs, you could tell she cared and she always let that show through like just enough just little glimmers of it and I think Didion kind of feels that way she was also like secretly really smart and kind of clever and stuff which she tried to hide I don't think Didion hides it she's just smart and clever like it's it's just on the page but mm-hmm. there is a certain you get the feeling that she it's like she doesn't care about any of this but she can't stop looking at it or maybe it's the other way <laughs> or like mm. the inverse it's one of those it's um yeah i i wanted to pick the right character i don't know if i did find the right one but i'm not sure how you feel about that comparison i, I think that's a great comparison like what a what a great way to describe her her tone and her style as she's analyzing culture because yeah she she can um if you really, really analyze it, um, or you look too deeply, you you could say that she's very critical in a lot of mm-hmm. ways. But uh, but there's a lot of heart behind it too, and Definitely. a lot of affection for what she's criticizing. Actually, um, so yeah, I think that's a great comparison. And how about for yours? Um, I said the movie Dazed and Confused, um, mm. which makes sense <laughs> because. Um, thematically it fits like thinking about the timing and the setting um they're very similar and, and perhaps also what what made me think of Daisy and confused as well is is the seemingly randomness of like some of the plot i don't know if you've seen that movie oh yeah oh uh, yeah loads yeah. of times <laughs> yeah so sometimes like the randomness of of the actions and the behaviors and the characters decisions and stuff just like but also like the the innocence of um some of the characters that slowly over time just kind of like it gets eaten away um with certain realizations but also like there's an overall kind of almost nostalgic feel um to the movie mm-hmm. which i wouldn't say that it's got a Didion glow is yeah it's didian's not nostalgic necessarily but she definitely has clear ideas about what it about cultural changes that were occurring at that time. So, um, yeah, they're pretty similar in that way. Yeah. It's, it's such an interesting, it has a, I don't know. I need to think more deeply about the comparison because it has such a literal time period, similarity, feeling, youthfulness to it. But obviously the tone of days and confused, especially at the end is sort of, yeah, nostalgic and kind and, kind of loving about these the times that you'll always want to relive or something and Didion is just way too skeptical and kind of biting for that <laughs> for that thinking but then again I think of some of the characters some of the happenings in the movie yeah it yeah that's an interesting comparison I like it I think yeah, that director thanks. too Linklater is his name I do think he he makes kind of nostalgically rich stuff 
and I yeah. I don't know if she is, but the yeah anyway for the time period and stuff alone it's an interesting one let's move to our scripted pitch i will definitely go first here because i didn't do one which i'll explain uh this is when amanda (laughs) and i prepare something in advance in my case bullet points and hers a you know coherent real piece of writing and we will in 200 words or so try and persuade you to read this with us if our initial connections or thoughts have not been enough i didn't do one because i just got lazy so there you go a deep explanation (laughs) but i have i have a couple (laughs) I have two, I think, lucid thoughts I'll share um, in in a 200-word-ish amount of time. Uh, The first is this. Whenever you pick up some nonfiction, especially essays, which are so topical, pop culture-dependent, time period, kind of hemmed in by time, you always want to make sure there's like a timelessness to them. And here's the interesting thing. I, I don't even think that her stuff is timeless because... She does research, and there's so many references, and kind of it does feel limited. The voice, though, is timeless. That's the cool thing, is that, like, her style, her voice, the way she's seeing the world and trying to process, I think that's what I took away, is just like, wow, this is really unique, well done, and kind of she has this timeless kind cynicism to her, however you want to phrase it. I think that's how I worded it on the pod. And I think that's the thing worth recommending. I really don't know if coming out of this, I think you'll have a better sense of some of the 60s and a little bit of a movement here, a movement there. Um, it's not coherent enough exactly to to have you like learn something in the, in the really obvious knowledge way, but I don't think that matters when the style is so great and the person has a... A really sharp, incisive voice that's unique. So I, that's that would be kind of my perspective on it. Is if you're looking to kind of learn something, quote unquote, if you're reading for facts, then yeah, I don't know. Like it, I definitely learned some stuff about the hippie generation, and and her uh, writings about California intrigued me a ton. Um, the rest of it is more personal, and also the topics kind of veer to different things. But I, I think my biggest pitch would be for the voice, the tone, the quality of the writing is just so so high and she clearly is onto something in, in terms of kind of authorial yeah, just perspective. And that would be my main pitch. The other thing is really short, which is it's like negative California, which I think to a person in 2022, California is a very gilded seeming place. Obviously no city that big is perfect or even has to be like great in any grand sense or whatever, but it's, you know, it's the height of, or the kind of commercial capital in a sense of the U S and it's where all the glamor and glitz and all that yada yada is all the reality TV show. It's bougie money, but like her view of California is just so Sandy and rough and kind of unvarnished and it's interesting. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, it's unique to read somebody writing about California in that lens. I'm sure there's plenty of people who do that, but it definitely goes against the pop culture interpretations. So those would be my two pitches, not scripted, but that's what I got. (laughs) Yeah. I like, I like that. um, You pointed out her, her voice and style are timeless because it's, it's true. She's talking about a particular time period, the sixties in a particular place, California, um, and and also a couple of other places like she talks about New York City as well, but it's mostly almost all set in California itself, and uh, which can seem a bit um, nuanced. But the way that she writes it, I mean, and and the big ideas that she ties to those things could be applied to so many other things. And mm-hmm. she her writing is just absolutely wonderful. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Come, I wouldn't come for this. I would not hand this to somebody who said to me, like, 
what were hippies like? I, the yeah. essay that's yeah. about them is really good, though. It really was, and I yeah. was quite taken with it. But I just would not hand them this book. It, it would ha- it would be under a different mission. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, this is more of a book to hand to somebody who's interested in, um, like a worldview or a tone or something. Yeah, yeah. I think a worldview is a good idea. Is is a good. Is like thematically what we're looking for. If if you're looking for like the ideas of like change and, um, and the idea of like the American dream versus like reality and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that's a good way of putting it too. She goes in on that a few times. Yeah. How about for your scripted pitch? All right, mine is. Joan Didion's reporting style is a refreshing reminder that you don't have to shout your opinions and personal takeaways. It's much more effective to weave them subtly throughout the writing through tone, setting, dialogue, and sometimes seemingly abrupt transitions and conclusions. Of course, this is just one part of the collection of essays and slashing towards Bethlehem. We also see more personal works more akin to philosophical writings in the latter two parts of the collection. Those essays are also great examples of how nonfiction writing, especially about personal philosophies, doesn't have to be a confusingly painful slog. Didion writes clearly with the idea that particulars are the key to understanding belief systems and oneself. In other words, examples from others' experiences and observations, when compared to one's own observations, lead to Didion's grounded writing style. She's also got a great eye for imagery and tone, which she uses to enhance her insights into her observations while keeping her writing concise and clear. She's a wonderful writer whose prose will appeal to really anyone. Anyone who likes writing in a, yeah. in a analytical capacity, for sure. And even yeah. I would have a hard time, even if you only read, I don't know... I'm trying. Yeah, you're right. I'm trying to think of a person who would, who would, because if if you're gonna like pick up a book of any kind and undertake the mission of reading a book these days, yeah, I have to think her voice would. You'd find something interesting about her. For sure, I think. Yeah, you don't you don't have to overanalyze or anything. You could. There's definitely. a lot that you could definitely analyze with her writing, but because she's she's not overwriting at the same time, I think that it's it's very appealing to people in general. Yeah, it's a cool balance. Pretty pretty compelling. Let's end with our final segment then, Amanda, the quote for clarification, which is kind of what it sounds like. We're each going to read a quote directly from the work, since at this point we've talked around it so much. Let's dive into some specifics and read something that we enjoyed from it. The quote should represent something important about it that we'll discuss. Um, why don't you take it away first, Amanda? What do you got for your quote? Sure. This one is from her essay called John Wayne, A Love Song. And it's on page 32. Nothing very bad could happen in the dream. Nothing a man could not face down, but something did. There it was, the rumor, and after a while, the headlines. I licked the big C, John Wayne announced, as John Wayne would, reducing those outlaw cells to the level of any other outlaws. But even so, we all sensed that this would be the one unpredictable confrontation, the one shootout Wayne could lose. I have as much trouble as the next person with illusion and reality, and I did not much want to see John Wayne when he must be, or so I thought, having some trouble with it himself, but I did. And it was down in Mexico when he was making the picture his illness had so long delayed, down in the very country of the dream. 
Um, so I loved the language, like the, the outlaw cells and everything. I was like, oh, that's really, I like that. Um, but also the reference to the illusion and the dream, those were big concepts that, especially in part one, um, that were important to the idea of what it was like to live in California at that time, which is the the illusion of, of happiness and the dream of happiness, mostly through wealth and social expectations right. and stuff. But um, but the language was great, and, and the theme there was very well spelled out, I think. Yeah, definitely. She It captures something, too, about her. I don't know, yeah, would you say it's like a broader mission? It's tough to yeah. kind of pin down. I don't think this book, it's not an academic work in any way, so we keep trying to put a thesis on it and it doesn't need or have to have one <laughs> but it's like it does feel like you should have some kind of coherence if you're going to publish a whole right. book and do you feel like that's as close to the mission as you'd get yeah i think so for me that that was kind of the thing that i kept coming back to with each of these um writings mm-hmm. yeah that's a good one my quote will be about hawaii a place that she is uniquely suited to tackle because she will have a complicated reaction to going to Hawaii, <laughs> which mm-hmm. seems fitting. Anyway, from 188, an essay about her trip there. Uh, from an essay called Letter from Paradise and then the Coordinates. Um, anyway, I went to Hawaii wary as a visitor. Or, sorry, I went to Hawaii a wary visitor. I do not believe that the stories told by lovely hula hands merit extensive study. I've never heard a Hawaiian word, including and perhaps most particularly aloha, which accurately expressed anything I had to say. I have neither enough capacity for surprise nor enough heart for twice told tales to make you listen again to tedious vignettes about Midwesterners in souvenir shirts and touring widows in, in moomoos and simulated pearls about the Kodak Hulu show or the Saturday Night Luau or the school teacher and the beach boy. And so now that it is on the line between us that I lack all temperament for paradise, real or facsimile, I'm going to find it difficult to tell you precisely how and why Hawaii moves me, touches me, saddens and troubles and engages my imagination, what it is in the air that will linger long after I've forgotten the smell of pikaki and pineapple and the way that the palm sound and the trade winds. So she's, yeah, I mean... She doesn't always lay her kind of emotional state so bare or her opinion so clear. Um, she does she does pretty often, but I think I liked it because she's always self-aware, which I think helps a lot when you're going to write from a more critical, I, I want to say cynical, but that does feel a little too harsh perspective. And I appreciated that quote because also it's, at least in our current imagining, Hawaii is a vacation destination for people in the U.S. It's it's obviously so complex. It's a colonized place. It's got its own long history, uh, and there's just all kinds of things that are messy about it. But then mm-hmm. to the common everyday American, it's like, oh, it's the place for you go on your honeymoon or you go for a family vacation and you soak in the sun. And it's what a beautiful, perfect place. <laughs> what an idyllic right. place. So she is just uniquely suited to going there and not thinking many of those things. I mean, you know, a lot of the essays about war <laughs> yeah. and about like the warrior mindset. And so, uh, yeah, it, it, you can just never really predict where she's going to go. I think after a while you might be able to just because she has such a clear voice and tone and uh, her perspective on things is just interesting, I guess. Like it's, I, I like her kind of self-acknowledgement in the writing. It never feels too overbearing. It never feels like she's indulging herself either, which is nice. It never feels like she's, 
patting herself on the back or something with her own interesting perspectives. She also throws up her hands verbally a couple times throughout the collection too, and she'll say things like "Why? I don't know why" or something like that. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's she's just a friendly, good voice. I, again, on the negative side, though, I, I just wanted to acknowledge that too in the quote. She knows her own temperament well, so I think the reader should too going into it. Yeah, and I, I appreciate the description. The I mean, they're negative descriptions of of the of uh, the the mentality of a lot of these people that are going to Hawaii. Um, the moo-moos, the the expectation that you're going to hear a lot of Hawaiian, uh, especially the word aloha and stuff. I, I really appreciate the, those little pieces there. I think that's uh, pretty indicative of, of her writing style as well. It's negative, but it's also kind of charming in, in, in how she describes it so negatively. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it, you're right. It's so critical, but then so friendly, too, at, at times. Yeah. And she always, she just cuts very delicately. And I, yeah. I really like that, too. She's a, she's a fun kind of tour guide of the things that, that interest her, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Any final yeah. thoughts on the collection Slouching Towards Bethlehem by Joan Didion? Uh, nope, that's it for me. Nice. One of our united positive reviews. Pretty strong recommendation. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that, right? We can we can do some normal stuff too. <laughs> we we can we can say just nice, uh, positive, effusively kind things about a book. We we can do yeah. this. Yeah. Um, thanks as always for listening all the way through the wreck. Hopefully, we persuaded you. If we failed to, however, we apologize. We'll be back soon in just a couple weeks, as always, on another Monday soon with another book recommendation. Um, as always, we pick a couple books ahead. So, Amanda, if you want to tell the listeners what we've got coming up. Sure. We have um, the novel MASH by Richard Hooker, which um, movies and and TV shows based on. The Midnight Mm -hmm. Library by Matt Haig. And finally, we have Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zavner. Yeah. Yeah. Some those latter two, the final two, definitely popular on the Internet. Recent publications of note. So we're hoping that get some attention (laughs) yeah if you're out there internet you know we're covering the stuff you seem to care about so here we are (laughs) anyway yeah should be some fun reads though and crying in age parts a memoir so back to some nonfiction soon which is cool all right if you follow us on instagram and facebook thanks we're at the lightly literary podcast uh, all one word so check us out there and again a brief request to rate and review us on any podcast platform where you found this could be itunes spotify wherever you found this we appreciate those it always helps to get a recommendation or you know to friends and family and all that good stuff too we thank you so much as always for listening all the way through hope we gave you a book recommendation and until next time we'll see you between the pages 